Welcome to Histometer, where we engage with history, brought to you by the Fort Worth Museum of Science and History. My name is Bethany Cuthbertson, and I work with the Education Division here at the Fort Worth Museum. Um, and today I am here with Caleb Blaster, who's going to tell us about the Transformation of Weaponry exhibit that we currently have on display. Hello, Caleb. Hi, Bethany. How are you today? I am doing well. That's excellent. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do here at the museum? Uh, yes, I am the collections manager here at the museum, which means I oversee a lot of our all of our objects that the museum houses and holds um, and puts on display. Um, I primarily work with our history collection um, and occasionally do a few science things, but primarily focusing on our historical artifacts. Um, and I am in charge of making sure that they're all where they need to be and putting them up whenever we put in an ex exhibit. And in this case of the transformation of weaponry, actually being able to design an exhibit around these items. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what can you tell us about the exhibit? Tell us a little bit about um, what's in there, kind of how you came across what you were interested in building it. Yeah. So the overarching theme idea of this one is really looking at how weapons have changed over time. So both from a technological standpoint, uh, moving in from like the materials to looking at, in the case of firearms specifically, how they changed and developed, but then also in a few cases looking at how culturally our views of certain weapons have changed or how certain cultures uh, change their views on an iconic weapon for mm -hmm. them as well. Um, and so really what we wanted to do with this was highlight a cool part of our collection that we knew people would be interested in and that many people would enjoy coming and seeing. And we did have a lot. We do have a large firearms collection as well as other blades and assorted weapons as well. So it was really a good chance to just highlight a part of collection that had not really been seen here before, or at least in a long time for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. So the objects in the exhibit, you said you said you have a lot of firearms and everything. So how do you come about picking the objects that you display and deciding which ones you don't bring out? Yeah, so a lot of times it begins with what is exciting to me, mm -hmm. um, just based off of prior knowledge or anything like that, or stuff that I'd heard other people talk about. Um, and so going in and seeing what those objects are that first get me excited um, and really, I really want to show off. And then take going back to then researching, figuring out how or if those items really fit together in a good organized way that people can come in and see them and view them and mm -hmm. understand it. And then from there, going back to the collection and filling in any gaps that we can maybe in that. So it's this kind of back and forth conversation between the objects that we have in our collection, but then what the research and what the narrative of the exhibit is going to be. Right, right. So do you have a favorite object that you have gotten to put up there that you maybe started your um, cho choosing different weapons and mm -hmm. kind of led the, the storyline? Yeah. So there were two <clears throat> main types of weapon or not types, but just two main weapons that I really wanted to showcase. And they led to two kind of different aspects of the exhibit. So first was some of our World War One rifles. Um for those who know, for those who don't know, Camp Bowie was the street, that location used to be a army training camp during World War One, And so we have a lot of things like 
rifles, training rifles, photographs, things like that. And I really wanted to incorporate that just to get a little bit of, you know, mm -hmm. local history, because when you can see things that are a bit more tangible, local, you're going to make a connection with that. And it's going to be a little bit bigger impact. Right. Um, and so that really led into, okay, looking at firearms, how do we get to that point? And so uh, it starts, we have bows up there and highlight some of that, but then the firearms we start and the 1700s with like a blunderbuss and mm -hmm. a Kentucky long rifle. And from there work our way up through different changes in that technology until we get to World War One. So just seeing how it all led up and then culminated not only in that technology, but then also how it culminated mm -hmm. here specifically right. in Fort Worth. Um, so and one of my favorite parts is we have a training rifle that's wooden. It's a very long uh, and it's in a very big case. Yeah. That was a <laughs> struggle to put up, but we did it. Um, yeah, I, I was part of part of that yes, process. You so were. I, I do I do know a little bit of the <laughs> yep. struggle. Yep. But I only helped with one and there's like how many like five was like five or six something? Bows eighteenth century Civil War, nineteenth century World War. There's five. Yes. Five. Yeah. I don't even think <laughs> I, I only got to help with one and I just, I can't imagine yeah. <laughs> trying to. And we put them up all in a day and that was really impressive. Rough. Yeah. rough. I just, just for the listeners, I got to help out a little bit with both this exhibit and more actually with the clothing exhibit that's up there as well right now. But we got, um, I got to help them lift one of the cases with the rifles in it. And this thing, uh, it, it's a case that sits flush to the wall that is hung flush to the wall mm -hmm. and it makes it very entertaining watching us. Like I can just imagine watching us try to get this really heavy case. This one took three of us and that's not even the heaviest one yes. that you had. I don't even think like an athletic person putting those on the wall would have looked graceful. <laughs> like <laughs> we, we had to drag blankets kind of underneath to kind of help us shift where we needed to. We put it on a table to help yes. us to help prop it up. And we had to mount, we had to mount all the wall. firearms on them first before we put them to the wall or so else we risked heavier. It out. So yeah, they were crazy heavy. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. Anyways. Yes. So there's this, the wooden training rifle, which is uh, ironically the lightest one, but in the heaviest case because the case is so big to fit it. Um, and lengthwise and lengthwise. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and on it, it says Pershing's rifle. And I was able to find in our collection, a photo of <coughs> men training at Camp Bowie with those training oh, rifles. Cool. And yeah. so it's really cool, like to see the object, but then also see it in action as well. Um, which I really liked. And then the second object that I really liked and I really wanted to focus in here was, uh, a couple of our samurai swords. Mm -hmm. Um, some of the people, some of our listeners who have been coming to the museum know we have a samurai armor dating to around the 1600s mm -hmm. or so. Uh, and we have a katana and then a wakazashi, what's called a wakazashi, which is a shorter sword dagger type mm -hmm. thing. Um, and even though these two swords didn't really go together, like they did not come to us together, they would have been worn together in right. a style called dashi. Uh, and I'm probably butchering that name. So I apologize uh, to anyone of Japanese heritage for that mispronunciation. But I really wanted to show those off because I love those pieces. And that really brought in the change in cultural aspect mm -hmm. uh, that I wanted to bring in. So that, yes, these swords started off as weapons, but they became an iconic part of the samurai and a part of Japanese society as sort of a badge of office mm -hmm. and a uh, just taking on a different role than necessarily a weapon. And so 
I took that and started looking for other cultural items that we might have had cultural weapons that took on similar roles. And so that led to some of the other things in there. Um, so, yeah. So what would you have considered the hardest part of like creating or coming up with, well, I guess one in like, what is the hardest part in like coming up with the ideas to bring this together, but also like physically setting up, um, displaying, mounting mm-hmm. all of the objects. What were the two kind of hardest things that you had to. Well, in terms of mounting, we've already talked about it. Those. Yes. There's awful wall mount things. They are, I say they're awful. They are beautiful. And you're very beautiful. You, wonderfully you guys displayed. did a great job. I pat myself on the back on it and <laughs> shout out to the guy who made them for us because they are fantastic and I love them and we will use them forever and ever, but they were a, a beast to hang up on the wall for sure. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that was difficult, but I'm equally proud of is we have a, um, what's called an Ihua, mm-hmm. which is a Zulu short spear, um, that is named after the sound of it stabbing someone supposedly. Yes. yes. Um, y'all listeners, you might want to look it up how to pronounce it online because you, you hear it a lot better when someone who's like a natural born speaker Speakers says it, says it yeah. than me again. I apologize to anyone in the Zulu nation who heard this. <laughs> um, but, uh, that was difficult because the shape of the object, we're putting it in this kind of cubed case and I knew I could figure out a way to fit it in there. Um, we just had to put it in at a certain angle, but getting it to stay at that angle yeah. and not roll around and slide was a challenge in itself. So what we ended up doing is we were walking around some uh, craft store yeah. and happening across these jewelry uh, displayers of differing levels. And we thought, you know what? I bet we could somehow balance it on there. And so we got them and we were able to just take some fishing line and wrap it around it and then uh, stabilize the base with a few nails. Um, and it looks fantastic. It does. It looks great. Walking around and it, yes. I would be very proud of that. Yeah, I, I do am. say you guys come up with some very creative ways of finding ways to display Yeah, things that don't necessarily come with the easiest, like hanging a rifle on the wall, setting up the spear, I've seen how you've done that and how yeah. you, I've seen you guys too, like go through the process, like just physically trying to like picture how, how am I going to set this up for people to see? And I want them to see almost all of it. I want to see like a good 360 of mm-hmm. it. How do I come up with this process of like nailing down what I can and can't do? Yes. Well, you've hit the nail <laughs> on the head. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> uh, with, there is a big challenge in going from, something flush to the wall to 360 where you had to consider, Oh, someone is walking around this. It needs to be aesthetically pleasing, inviting for someone to view it from mm-hmm. almost every angle or making sure that every angle they're seeing something new. Um, and so that was a big challenge for some of the smaller firearm cases that we had because right. they're away from the wall up there and just figuring out a good way of putting them that, because the way that the labels are, or I originally envisioned it, they were mm-hmm. going to kind of mirror the wall with the firearms. But of course, the way that people enter in, they would then be facing away from it. So right. they would be viewing the back of those cases, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily what you want. You want to still have that flow and bring people in. Yeah. And so we had a, I had to rethink uh, how to display those because with in mind that people are going to be walking around it yeah, and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. 
So what was your favorite part of the, of the exhibit or maybe like a most like memorable thing you had to do when creating <laughs> the weaponry exhibit? Uh, well, the mounting the objects for sure yes. is definitely one. Um, there was something very satisfying, um, about mounting. Uh, so there is a short sword called a Chris. It's from, uh, Indonesia, specifically the Island of Java. And it has a wavy blade to it. Um, and, we were able just to find a nice sword mount and put it in there. And it's in a very simple case, but there was something about just how nicely it fit in there mm -hmm. and the light going in there. And it was one of the first objects that we put into this exhibit. And that was like a very nice moment of going, Oh, this is, this is really cool right mm -hmm. here having this. Um, and I love that object too, because it's another one of those culturally uh, transformative pieces where it mm -hmm. starts out as a weapon and then becomes much more ceremonial to the point that now any Chris that's made is usually glued into the case because it's not meant to be used mm, yeah. as a weapon at all. This one is out, which is great because you can see the craftsmanship right. and the wavy blades. But it's in my mind, I'm not going to say a better example, but uh, you can see even further that change of how we view right. or how a culture has viewed its important weapons. Mm -hmm. And so just seeing that all come very nicely together in that spot was mm -hmm. a nice like oh yeah this is it's all oh yeah. yeah it's all coming together like and imagine it's a lot it's also satisfying to see the physical like representation of this work that you've been doing kind of behind the scenes like a lot of us don't get to see what you're doing until you start actually physically putting things in the displays but you've been working on these things for months trying to come up with like not only like the topic but coming up with how they fit together and what objects can we put out what's the most stable where mm -hmm. can it in this place can we actually fit it into this space physically do we have the display cases to actually pull this off and so like i can imagine like finally seeing it even especially with it being the first object kind of set up yes being very excited to have it out and be like hey this is finally coming together. It's nice to see a physical representation of that. Yeah, because you get it in your mind and you're like, I think it's going to work. I know I'm I'm like 99% sure it's going to work. But until you get there, mm -hmm. you're just kind of, it's always that kind of what if. And so that's like, that's what happened with the equal where I was like, this is going to be fine. This is going to be easy. I know exactly how I want it to look. I've already got an idea. I got right. and none of the things we were trying worked. <laughs> I mean, it took us a good week or so to figure out how to get that thing in there and make it look good and right. nice. Um, and so that was going from like the high of like, like with the Chris of putting it in and going, this is <laughs> perfect. This fits it perfect to like, like, like pulling our hair out going, am I going to have to like, this work? yeah, am I going to have to totally find a new object and put it in there or what? And so, uh, it's it's kind of, it is very much one of those like until the rubber meets the road you don't always, always know on. yeah so and that can throw a big wrench in the plans but that's part of it too is that you stay flexible you mm -hmm. get a plan b c d right. all the way through z just to gotta find ways to make it work yeah exactly yeah so do you have any other like um little stories or anything in there that has a, a fun backstory that you want to share uh, I don't know if this is a fun fact, but this is mm -hmm. one of the things that I found most interesting about it. Um, and one of the things that research wise, I was really interested to look at because it wasn't something I'd really understood before. And that is the idea of 
how a lot of times we break up the early weapon stages or tool stages into, you know, like Stone Age, Bronze mm-hmm. Age, Iron Age, of which I was, we were lucky enough that we had objects in our collection that lent that to all those talking about that because that's a very normal, a lot, most people who have studied anything like ancient history or mm-hmm. something like that will be familiar with those terms. In a way, those terms are really good for grouping and categorizing history of Europe and the Near East, the Mediterranean world, right. even parts of East Asia. But outside of it, like even the Americas, Sub-Saharan Africa, you don't quite have that, even though you we still have evidence of metal working and things like that. And right. so just seeing uh, how some cultures developed it and how some didn't, but mm-hmm. not necessarily in a like they weren't able to because they were, but they their culture and their resources and their geographic location didn't necessarily necessitate they right. create it um and so it was a fun challenge in figuring out a way to keep these items grouped in a way that people would probably be familiar with them mm-hmm. stone age iron age bronze age but being able to work in there the fact that hey this is not necessarily all encompassing or all true which is a really it's right. a i'm not gonna say difficult part of history but a facet of history that mm-hmm. I think a lot of people sometimes overlook where history is both can be both true and false at the same right, time right, right. Uh, because it is all encompassing mm-hmm. of. Well, like I think we've talked about it too before, but where like things happen in maybe one, one area may not happen in another area. It may happen at a different time in another area. So exactly. It's always, yeah. it's always kind of a fluid. Yeah. And there can be so many different reasons and, one reason could have like 1% of the mm-hmm. cause of it while another reason has like 50%, but who's to say what percentage of what? And right. I mean, that's the fun part of being a historian is going in there and figuring out the mysteries and the little differences and the changes that cause these events to happen. Um, and so it was just a fun part to kind of say, Hey, you, you know this, mm-hmm. but here let's push a little bit and see. And so, Hey, this isn't exactly the, whole narrative of that um, without, I hope not being too preachy or anything like that. (laughs) Um, But if you want to know, come and see the exhibit and judge for yourself. So for those who do come to see the exhibit, was there anything that you really wanted to display or that you had that you're like, Oh, this would have been interesting to put in, but you like either it wasn't stable enough or was there like an object that you were like, Oh, this was very interesting, but it doesn't either. It didn't fit or either like you just the, the uh, timeline or, or it wasn't, there was not enough stability in the object to allow for you to display it. Yeah. Uh, there were a, few, a lot of our bronze items. Mm-hmm. Those were some of the hardest to find because they were not in the best condition. And also finding an item made out of bronze that would have fit the right time period right. that it would have been used at. Um, luckily we have the one spearhead, which is from Luristan, which is the region in Persia that, is in very good condition mm-hmm. and we were able to find, but we have a lot of other um, bronze age uh, weaponry from like uh, Southeast Asia mm-hmm. that we've gotten from archeological digs that were just not good enough to put on display and that we didn't quite have enough information on either right. for me to feel safe putting it up. Um, but other than that, most of the objects that were on there were luckily enough what we wanted to Let's show and show. what we wanted to display with it all. So 
we are very lucky in that sense. Cause you're right. That's not always the case that we can show no, yeah. what we'd like. No, there's a lot of stuff that, that there's a lot of things that I know that you, I've heard you and Lee and even Kirsty talk about where you're like, Oh, we really would like to display this sometime. And then there, you can't because something either it's just not stable enough. You don't have something that can fit it as well or, or doesn't fit the, the theme of what you're, you guys are trying to come like bring across yes. to the, to the audience. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and, and talking about the, the transformation of weaponry exhibit that is currently up. Can you tell us how long, um, it will be on display? So, because this uh, exhibit is all based off of our personal, our permanent collection, mm -hmm. um, it can stay up as long as we need it to. So right now it's slated to remain up at least until uh, spring of 2023, if not sooner. Um, though if something else comes along, it can yeah. be changed out. Well, yeah. and that's the very nice thing about exhibits based off of our permanent collections that right. we do have that flexibility with it. And if people are really like, bring it back, we want to see it, then we can do that too. Right. Um, or in another capacity. So yes, there's still plenty of time to come and see it. Wonderful. Wonderful. We'd love for anybody to come and yes. see it and enjoy it. Got to stop by the museum, come and see our new, the transformation of weaponry. Yes. <laughs> <So> it, <laughs> make sure I say the before it, cause yes. I keep wanting to not include that. Um, but yes, uh, Thank you again for stopping by. Yes, thanks for having me. Um, and uh, thank you guys for listening to our podcast. And um, if you um, are looking for more episodes or more information about the museum, feel free to visit our website. Um, and thanks again. And have a great day. Bye.